Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. <laughs> hello, hello, San Bonani. Hello. You guys can do better than that. Hello, hello, San Bonani. Nazo, okay. All right, guys, we are still continuing with our series titled Made for Connections. And if you can remember, our first preach was on. I'm surrounded by idiots. And yo, the lambs did a really, a very good job in that part. And now we really do understand that we are all called to live graciously amongst our peeps, amongst our connections and the people that we are friends with. And then moved on to last week, Sobs took us through the journey of, I thought we were friends. Little did I know that you can also use that phrase, even in terms of friendships. I thought it was only but we're not there. Relationship, might be com- relationship series might be coming on soon. And then it was great. Also on Friday, we also had what? Young adults, and they were unboxing friendship. So it was a week of friendship. So I really hope you guys are good now with your friends and your peeps, and you're all healed up from the lashes. Amen. So please, with that said, can you please come with me to 2014? First semester, Peter Maritzburg, UKZN campus. I'm doing my second year. It's a hot summer day. And the stress of registration has just passed. So I was like, yes, God, I'm in here. So the excitement, so on campus, there are so many emotions that are, are involved, of course. The stress for some, that they still haven't gotten their funds or their funding to register and whatnot. At this point, I've passed through that phase. So I'm on the exciting road. And then what, what we find is that I need to pick up a module, a module called AMET, which is Agrometeo and Climatology. So that, or rather it pertained, so to say, I had to study climate change and also weather patterns and its effect on agriculture and crops. So it was really interesting. Uh, but then when I looked at the syllabi, there was this thing called group project. And little did I know that even ever City guys, they are group projects. So that just took my excitement. It crashed. Of course, I don't do well in groups. At that time, thank you, Jesus. Jesus has saved me in that part. I didn't do so well in groups. Why? Because you know what? People, when they look at me like, okay, the guy is creative. You know what? He sees colors, he sees shapes and whatnot. But it so happened that to me, those shapes are so well defined, those lines. So what do I mean? I mean that I operate within the boundaries. I can't go beyond. Even though I'm a creative, I'm not as spontaneous as you think I might be. Uh, I'm not a guy who, okay, let's go with the flow. I'm all about organization and let's plan, let's figure out. And so to find out my group was not that. Can you imagine? So because of that, I had to, yeah, X them. And then I, I moved on to be on my own and I isolated isolated. Remember that word. I isolated and I want to do things on my own. Little did I know that in that moment, God wanted to teach me something about community, teach me something about trusting other people. You know, it was easier for me to just step into uh, isolation because I'm a, an only child. So isolation for me is just a natural thing. It's like, boom, you're alone. That's it. It's fine. Let's go. Let's move. It's great. But God was like, no, no, no. We need to shift that. We need to shift that. I, was never, I never made you to be an alone person, alone Sam, and whatnot. 
And so that journey, it went on from like, okay, I'm alone, and to me having to eat my humble pie and say, oh, Goti, ah, they don't understand me, I went back to them. You know why? The machine that I needed to use, I didn't understand to get my readings so that I can continue with my project. So I needed them now. So I ate my humble pie. I'm like, <clears throat> hello, guys. Hello, peace. Hello, love. And then we were there. I, okay, I, I apologize. I repented. But also it was an opportunity for me to learn and get to know them. So as much as it was an opportunity for them to learn and know more about me, not the idea they had. Oh, good, see, this is Sanjile. They're unboxing me. So with that said, the tag preacher that we're having today is about what? Isolation. 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 Nobody understands me because we all feel like that sometimes, right? We all feel like no one understands me. I'm an extrovert. You're an extrovert in between wherever. No one understands you. But we're here to say that you are understood. And also to pull you out from that space of isolation. God has not designed you for isolation. Amen. Amen. And then um, we also are hoping that this will also help us heal in our identity. That we know that our identity is in Christ and our identity is intact. But also to be able to see community in a way that God has called community or designed community to be. Above all, so that we can hear the voice of God. Because you can have your identity, but if you can't hear from God, you can choose from any Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Willy, Willy, of who you are, and let them define who you are. And also, for us to be in a place whereby we're able to differentiate between isolation and solitude. And solitude is what? Whereby we withdraw because we want God to fill us up and grow us into in intimacy. And then Wayne Cardiaro, not this Wayne, states that, and I open quote, solitude is, chose, is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. I'm going to read that again. It says solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the former. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for this time, God. Thank you that you are in this place. We felt you through worship, oh God, and where you continue to carry us through, Father. We say, God, we, we silence every voice. We silence every fear. We silence every distraction, Almighty God. This is your word. Come and interject between time and space, Almighty God. We say, Lord, come and speak. We are ready, mighty Lord, to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 15, 18, 20, and 21, it reads, The food says, <clears throat> sorry, the food says I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the mind, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I do not need you. So when we read this passage, we clearly see that we were made for connections. 
We were made to be part of the body. We were never designed to be an island. We were never designed to just be on our own. But then clearly something happened. And when we trace back to Genesis, when the fall happened, that's where the train or the chain of command actually broke down. And then we split. We split. So we see the, 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 the repercussions of sin. It separates us from wanting to be in, communi- in community. With that said, we became more lesser and lesser in seeing the need to be, or rather we grew lesser in seeing the need to be with other people, to see our partners, or to be in, in partnership with other people, or to see ourselves as part of the larger picture, the bigger picture, the body. We saw ourselves as me, myself, and I, and that is okay. And that is okay because Jesus is here and he wants to break that right now, this morning. Amen. And then also, in the concept of Adam and Eve, we know they ate the fruit and what, what, and yeah, they got bad. But now, for us, it might not be that we ate the fruit, but because we have experienced some hurt in our lives, whereby we trusted people and they let us down, so what we do, we shift the narrative. And then because I was hurt, I'm going to raise my walls up high that I can't trust anymore. No one can come into the bubble. I'm all alone, and that's it. I'm fine. I'm okay. You know? It's because of that. So we wanted to protect ourselves. So we understand. But we need to step beyond that. Or maybe we loved. You know that crush? And you went there, and they were like, nah, Andy, collapse. <laughs> we loved, and we got heartbroken because they didn't love us back. Not only even in such a space of relationships, but friendships. In our families, whereby there was rejection. We loved, but we didn't receive that back, so we were heartbroken. And then we isolated ourselves. We hoped and never got the breakthrough that we were needed. We prayed and we trusted, but we never got the breakthrough. And some of us are still in that space, whereby we're not yet there. We haven't gotten the breakthrough, so we're choosing to isolate. But again... Jesus is here, and Jesus is Lord, and he wants to be your friend. And then also, when we go to isolation, there are so many things that happen. The doors that were supposed to be closed, remain closed, they keep open. Amen? They keep open, and then we see that sin comes into our heart. And as sin comes into our heart, we then find idols that we worship. We find idols that we, we're going to build for ourselves, and then we, we erect them up. I'm like, this is our God. So habits are formulated, habits that are not good, things that will pull you further and further and further away from the presence of the Lord. We even provoke the anger of God because we have shifted our eyes from Him. And then He gives us to our temptations because now we don't have the, 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 the hedge of protection that we so ever needed and we had. And we also see generational patterns of sin coming to play, and they build up and they build up. Why? Things that were meant to be broken from your forefathers, because now you're no longer surrounded by community of spiritual believers, people who understand what God says and how to break those things. We see them coming up and coming up and coming, and you wonder what is happening. You're all alone, and you can't cover everything on yourself. You need someone who's going to speak and and see into the things that you might not be able to see into. And then what else happens? There's division. Because we have isolated ourselves. Division in what? In our friendships, in our families, in our colleagues, even in the church. Because of isolation. 
And also the last one, we see fear and uncertainty. Fear creeps in and it rules our lives. It rules our hearts. We're afraid to dream again. We're afraid to see for the future. We're afraid to trust God. We are so uncertain. We can't even hear, God, are you speaking? God, is this you? What, what, what? We can't even differentiate. If this is God, this is me, this is the devil, whatever, there's uncertainty in our hearts because we chose to be alone and God has never designed it to be that way. Over to you, Trisha. So Sandile has made it very clear to us that we're not designed for isolation. In fact, if we look at the body of Christ um, and how the body all functions and fits together, Scripture says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't have need of you. And the eye say to the liver, you know, what function do you have? No one gets to see you. There's a necessity for the body to work together. Can't be in isolation for that. Scripture also tells us that when we are isolated, we are like a sheep who is on the outskirts of the fold, and that is the one that the wolf can come in and, um, and snatch away and do damage to because they're not within the protection of the sheepfold. So isolation is a really, really critical aspect for us to address in our own hearts and our own lives. But then what do we do? If we are really feeling like we need time out, we need space, we, you know, all the introverts, you know what I'm talking about. We can't be around people 24-7. We get refreshed and replenished when we're alone. And that's where that word solitude comes in. It's different to isolation. Solitude is an invitation to withdraw, to be with God. Jesus withdrew often to be with the Lord, because he needed time and space out of his circumstances and the people he was consistently around. But he didn't isolate and go, oh, I'm so fed up with these Pharisees, and oh, I'm so fed up with my disciples, or oh, I'm so fed up with these people who just wanna see me do miracles. No, he withdrew into the presence of the Father. He responded to the Father's invitation to get refreshed and replenished. And so as we unpack um, this concept of isolation versus um, withdrawing, we're going to take a look at an Old Testament story. And it's quite a long story, so I've got my lovely Bokosi here to read for us so that you don't have to hear my voice for too long. And, um, and she's going to take us into 1 Kings and start us off, to invite us into the story of 1 Kings, Bokosi. Right. Hello. Can everyone hear me? Cool. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your fancy technical phones, <laughs> please turn to First Kings 16. We're going to be reading from 16 verse 29 to 17 verse 1. Okay. Nizong Tolalap. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only concerned it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the same in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. 
now verse, we go to chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will, neither, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few word, years except at my word. All right, so here we are, and we've got three main characters that we're going to be looking at. We've got Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, right? But he's making some really bad decisions, very poor decisions that are going to affect the whole of Israel. Then we've got Jezebel, who's the woman that Ahab decides to marry. Not a good move. He clearly didn't do premarital counseling because she was a woman who served and worshipped Baal. And um, in general, Baal was known as a fertility god who was expectant to make the crops produce and make people um, be fruitful in having children. And, um, and then we have Elijah, who's the prophet of the God of Israel. And as we see in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah rises up with courage, the conviction of the Lord in authority, and he establishes truth in a matter where there is a lot of compromise. And he challenges the king of Israel and he says this, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I mean, that's a declaration of war. Here the prophet is standing in opposition to the king and the queen's idols that she worships, who is the fertility God who's meant to be bringing fruitfulness to the land. And he says, no, 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 you guys are messing up here. Only at my word will rain come back to this land. Until I declare it, it's not going to happen. So he makes this bold proclamation. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think his stand for God's truth and God's judgment is going to sit well with King Ahab? and Queen Jezebel. Do you think they're gonna sit there and go, oh, sorry, man of God, we've made the wrong decision here. Let us repent and turn back to the Lord. Or do you think it's gonna be something that they're gonna come in, um, in, in rebellion towards them? Well, we see from the rest of the story that it doesn't go well because they don't repent at the opportunity to repent. But I think for Elijah, he must have thought to himself, what do I do now? I've had a situation, an encounter where I've stood for God's truth. I've spoken what is is accurate. I've stood up for what's right. I don't really think this is gonna be a good environment for me to stay in anymore. So does he pack his bags and run off? Does he keep standing and fighting? Or does he listen for the word of the Lord? Because let's see what the word of the Lord comes to him to tell him to do. 1 Kings 17, verse two to six. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. 
So God knows that Elijah has been in a situation and in a circumstance and around people that um, it is no longer conducive for him to be there. He's done what God's wanted him to do, and God invites him into a place that he can be alone with the Lord in. He invites him to withdraw. He invites him. So can you see, it's not Elijah packing his bags and running away because he's now, you know, upset the apple cart of what's happening in Israel, but actually he's responding to what the Lord is doing. The Lord has invited him in to this place of solitude, of withdrawal. And in that place, we see the Lord's provision. And maybe you can equate it to something going on in your life right now. Maybe you are on the front lines of a battle, maybe in your workplace, maybe in a relationship, maybe something's happening that's making you go, oh my goodness, I've just stood up for something that is, is God's way of doing things and it's not being received well. Is the Lord inviting you to withdraw, to come and refresh and be replenished by Him? Or are you wanting to pack your bags and run away? And I think as we go through this Old Testament story, I want you to just put yourself in, in the situations that you find yourself in and apply the wisdom that we see from Elijah's life. And I mean, we think about it, he's, here he is, he's, he's been invited into this place of withdrawal and it's so different to isolation because isolation is the place we go when we're trying to self-preserve and it's often led by our fear. Whereas when God draws us into a place of solitude and withdrawal, he's bringing us into relationship with him. He's bringing us into his sustenance, his provision, his refreshing. I mean, think about what an amazing encounter it must have been for Elijah to have sat by that beautiful brook, drunk from its, drunk, drunk the fresh water, had ravens bringing him food. I mean, incredible encounters because he responded to God's invitation to solitude and withdrawal. And it wasn't him packing his bags and running in the wrong direction. Isolation often leads us towards hedonism, where solitude and withdrawal leads us towards soul care, okay? Because think about it, when we isolate, we often go to binge eating and candy crush, or you know, compulsive scrolling on our phones or immerse ourselves in YouTube amusement. That's often where we go when we isolate and it leads us into a hedonism. Whereas invitation into solitude and withdrawal with the Lord leads us into soul care and refreshing and strength. All right. And what was the purpose in God inviting him into that place of solitude and withdrawal? Well, obviously it was because he probably wasn't very safe in the environment where he was after he boldly pronounced that there was gonna be no rain in the land of Israel until he spoke it. But also because the Lord wanted to prepare him for his next assignment. The Lord wanted to refresh him and replenish him before he then put him back amidst people, back into new environments. And let's see the environment the Lord then takes him into. First Kings 17, verse 7 to 24. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? 
As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he, he was staying and laid him on the bed, on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So here we see Elijah is immediately put back into an environment where miracles happen, God's power is made available. I mean, here he is sent on a mission to a woman and her son who are about to have their last meal and wrap it up. And that's it, Lord, take us. This is, this is too much. We can't handle this. And the Lord sends the prophet to her. And there, can you imagine sitting around that table, Elijah and the woman and the son, how many amazing conversations they must have had. Wow, the, the oil hasn't run out yet. The flour is still so much. Let's make more bread. Let's make more food. Imagine the celebrations and the delights. And so God has replenished and refreshed Elijah, brings him back into situation and circumstance with new people. And, um, and there's celebration and there's victory. But then what happens? Life gets messy. Unexpected things happen. What happens? This, the son gets sick. And now the woman who's been a part of the celebration of this victory and probably been delighted that the Lord sent the prophet to her house, now she turns with, with a mouth that has a tongue like a, like a serpent and says, you know, nah, why'd you come here you, to bring destruction on me? Are you, are you judging my sin? Because her son has now become sick and ill. Life gets messy. Life gets messy. Relationships that have been going so well can sometimes take a, a detour. How we respond in those situations are critical. Elijah could have stamped his feet and said, Lord, just take me back to the brook where it was just you, me, and the ravens. You know? Look at this woman. She's being so ungrateful. Or he could have been like, God, I don't understand what's happening. We were on a victory streak here, and now there's a curveball. 
But what does he do? He goes back into the presence of the Lord. He takes his situation. He takes the, the hard situation and he goes before the Lord and says, what do we do here? Lord, bring life back into this young man. And then we have another incredible miracle taking place because God is gracious and God is good. And every time we turn to God, he helps us to navigate the, the, the challenges that we face in our life. And life is messy and relationship is complicated. And there are times where people flare up even when they've been on a winning streak with you. And the matter of the fact is, we don't give up on relationship. We don't slam the door and leave the widow with her son who's sick and dying. We get stuck in because the spirit of the living God is within us and he wants to do good and pleasant and pleasing things in the life of people around us. All right, let's see what happens next because he take us through. Okay, we are now on chapter 18. We're going from verse one to 15. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the prophets, the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know what, where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave, when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, has, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. <laughs> Talk about a toxic work environment. <laughs> and now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me, Elijah said. As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your, fam your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to him, to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prefer, prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given, to, so they took the bull given them and prepared it. They then shouted, they then called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to them, come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one of each of the prophets descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of seeds, which is about... 15 liters. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar, altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he said to the servant, to his servants. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew dark, black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rose to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak, 
inside into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Yo, yo, yo. How powerful is that? Do you think this incredible outworking of God's miracle had anything to do with the victories that Elijah had in those other places? In the original victory to stand up to Ahab and Jezebel, to then go into that place of solitude with the Lord, to be refreshed, replenished, to go into relationship with that widow and her son and see a part of the miracles there? Do you think any of those situations were a place of testing for him to see whether he would actually keep going back to the presence of the Lord or if he would isolate and run away? I think those were incredible places of testing and victory for the prophet because he then was entrusted with this incredible assignment of going back to Ahab, back to that place where prophets were being slaughtered where prophets were being hidden in caves by Obadiah because he was a righteous follower of the Lord, even though he was a part of the administration of Ahab. But here we see a key little element where our prophet misses it because he's gone through this incredible victory of the Lord bringing fire from heaven of the Lord clearly showing that the Baals have no power or authority to bring fruitfulness and rain into the land, to show that, that these, these men are false prophets and worthy of death. He sits in that situation. He then sits in a situation where rain comes from heaven, where there are no clouds in the sky, but his faith is creating powerful outworkings. But where does he miss it? now probably would have been the opportune time to retreat into the presence of the Lord, to withdraw, to go and, and find that solitude with God. He's just had a massive output. And I don't know if he was feeling invincible in that moment, like, man, I even outran the chariot. The Lord is with me. I don't know if he was feeling invincible or if he just hit a real downer after all this output and he had some post-adrenal depression or you know, adrenal fatigue, let's throw in the new words that we know about these days. I don't know what was going on with him, but we're about to read what happens. And it's, it's critical that we realize that there are consequences for us not withdrawing at the right time, not seeking the Lord. Do you want to take us into it, because? Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Not really the response we thought that was going to come from our great and mighty prophet Elijah. One word from one woman that he is going to have his life taken from him, and he runs in fear. 
and he runs to try and preserve his life. He isolates. He even leaves his servant, the person closest to him. Why? Well, perhaps he was running on God fumes instead of God fuel. And I don't know if you can relate to a situation in your life where things are going so well and you're like, this is how it's meant to be and God's so great and God's so awesome. And then the carpet gets pulled out from underneath you and it's often related to a relational challenge. Something someone said, something someone did. And you feel like the carpet's just swept out from underneath you. And you have to ask yourself, did you allow yourself to refresh and replenish and find the fuel of the Lord or were you running on the fumes of the Lord? All right, we're nearly there. I know it's a lot of scripture, but because he's gonna take us on our home stretch. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshu, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So you see how the Lord came and sought him out. The Lord sought him out in his isolation. Even though he had isolated, the Lord was kind and compassionate and went and drew him into relationship first and foremost with himself, but then commissioned him to go and build relationship with others who he would pass the baton on to. And what we need to notice here is that when we isolate, when we, when we withdraw, we, I mean, isolate um, away, from, away from what we should be doing, which is withdraw, we only see it from our perspective. And we often see it from a, 
a warped perspective because even as he's repeating there, you know, I've been very zealous for the Lord, but um, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. Well, well, that was before they just went and slaughtered all the prophets that you told them to slaughter. You know, that was past stuff that you're meditating on, but that's not the current now situation. And, um, and besides that, Obadiah had just told him, I've kept, you know, all these prophets, you're not alone. They're these prophets that I've been keeping safe and alive. And when we're, when we're isolated, we see it from our own perspective, which is often from a broken perspective of our fear narrative that keeps going over and over in our minds. And, um, you know, I just wanna tell you that no matter what you're going through, that there is a bigger story that you're a part of. You're part of the body of Christ. There is a redemption story for all of humanity. And our individual redemption story plays a part of that bigger story. And I wanna encourage you not to be a person who hides away in isolation. And if you are in that place of isolation, allow the Lord to withdraw you into his presence and refresh and replenish you. And Sandile is gonna wrap it up with a gift that God has for us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tisha. Sure. As I was just listening, I'm just wondering, yo, man, we all have our kryptonite. Yo, yo, this guy, like he had been in a space whereby he really experienced God and he had seen God move. I mean, we all have those same stories. We have seen God move. But what I'm going to get you to right now is I've been in that position and then boom, kryptonite comes and hit, and I'm in that slump. Now, I've forgotten that, yay, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is great. Like, I can, he can command legions of angels to come and save me. What happens when you have forgotten that? What happens when you have lost your identity? What happens when you have lost uh, the, the sense to hear when God speaks? Can you still hear the whisper, him calling, Come. Can you still hear the whisper, come? Or there's so much noise around you that you can't even hear the whisper, yet you are alone, but there's so much noise around you. And, 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 and I feel the Holy Spirit in, in, in coming with this gift, singing to us. Hillsong wrote it so well. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are chosen, you're not forsaken. You are who he says you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are chosen. You are not forsaken. You are who God says you are. And he comes with this gift because he loves you so much. Gift. Gift. And I'm going to break it down for you that whenever you find yourself in that space whereby, whew, it's tough, Jesus. Remember gift, G for God. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. He's not a man that he should lie. So what he has spoken over your life stands. It says that my word shall not return to me void. It will accomplish what I have sent it through. Even though the kryptonite, the, the, the Jezebel can send out words, I am who God says I am. And his word shall not return to him void. Amen. Amen. And then we have I. I for identity. What is your lens in viewing who you are? 
Is it a lens that comes from God? Or is it a lens that comes from society? Or a lens that comes from you? We're not called to, 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 to see things just in the natural, but to step beyond the natural and go to the supernatural realm. And in the supernatural realm, we get to see how God sees. Just as Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing in heaven, and I only speak what I see the Father speaking. Can you see? You can only see if you understand your identity in Christ. Are we affirmed enough? Well, today you are affirmed enough. Even in that situation of isolation, you are still affirmed. Amen. 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 And then we go to freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom, even in that space, in that slump. Freedom from your past traumas. Freedom from your past hurts. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from whatever that so ever has entangled you right now. And I really believe that right now, this morning, God is breaking those things that are keeping us from really understanding who we are in Him. That we get free in the bondages of sin. We get free in the bondages of the idols that we have set ourselves to worship. They didn't just come. We built them. We built them. But God is so gracious that he's saying, I want you free. And I am here to set you free. Amen. Amen. And then trust. T is for trust. May we learn to trust again. Once those walls and those chains have been broken down and you are free, trust again. Trust again. I feel that that's the word for some of us, that trust again. Would you trust me one more time? Would you trust God one more time? Would you trust me with your degree one more time? Would you trust me with your finances one more time? Would you trust me with your family one more time? Would you trust me with your health one more time? Would you trust the people that I have brought before you one more time? One more time, church. Let us trust him. So when we're in that space whereby we feel like, it is done. Remember, gift. Remember God. Remember your identity. Remember that you're walking in freedom. And remember to trust again. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet so we can pray? (laughs) Father, we come to you this morning and we want to respond. We want to respond. You know each of our individual situations and circumstances. You know those of us who are in places of isolation. And we choose to respond to your invitation out of isolation and into relationship first and foremost with you and then with the body of Christ. Father, for those of us who have forgotten our identity, thank you for reminding us about that today. For those of us who have forsaken our freedom, let us be reminded that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. For those of us who need to trust again, would you empower us to trust again? For those of us who are holding others in unforgiveness because they have offended us, because they have hurt us, because they are what we see as the reason why we are in isolation. 
Father, would you bring those people to remembrance right now and would you empower us to forgive them? And if God is bringing someone to remembrance, you can say it in your heart, you could say it out loud, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. Because as we forgive, we are releasing them over to the Lord. For the Lord to judge them, for the Lord to work in them, for the Lord to do what He needs to do in their life. And we, we set ourselves free from the bondage that unforgiveness keeps us in. Thank you for the gift of repentance right now, Lord. We repent for where we have isolated instead of listening to your still small voice to withdraw into your presence. We ask you to forgive us where we have allowed fear and self-preservation to take us away from the body of Christ, which is there to build us up and to strengthen us. And I ask that you would release a fresh hope and trust in Christ in each one of us to be good friends to each other and to love each other as Christ would love us through our different lives and circumstances. Holy Spirit, you are the one who empowers us. We lean not into our own understanding, our own strength, our own might. We lean into the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to come and do what you need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Beautiful guys. As you go out into the fellowship area, I would encourage you to about what the sermon has stirred in you into the conversation around a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and let's be the church, which is to be relationally healthy and strong, kind and compassionate. Amen. Amen. Have a beautiful Sunday to everybody online. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.